0: They are there throughout history, whether that history be of our world, our country or even our own lives. They are there. What is it I'm referring to? I'm referring to those defining moments, those defining moments that change and sometimes change forever what has gone before. Something happens, and life is never the same again. Such a defining moment, I believe, can be seen in Acts chapter 9. And it was a defining moment in the history of the church, and in the history of a man who was called Saul, but who is better known as Paul. On that day, in the twinkling of an eye, the persecuted church became, in a sense, the peaceful church. And the endangered church became the encouraged church. On that day, in the twinkling of an eye, the seething Saul became the saved Paul. The angry Saul became the adoring Paul. The persecutor became the persecuted. The letter carrier became the letter writer and the bearer of death. Became the bearer of life. It is this event, this life changing event, that I want to speak to you about this morning. And as I do so, I have four headings for you. The first of which is the old soul. The old soul. We see this old Saul in verses 1 to 2. So the first question we need to ask is this. Who was this man that I am calling the old Saul? Later in Acts, he will give us a description of himself. It's in chapter 22 and verse 3. And he says this. He says, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. That city was, of course, Jerusalem. He, he was brought up, he says, at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous towards God. This was the old Saul. Later he's going to explain a bit more about his early life. He was the man. He was the Jew of the times. He was the one they all looked to. He was the one who was brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. The same Gamaliel uh, who we read about just earlier in Acts. He was considered a great teacher. He was considered a great guide to the Jewish law. Acts 5, verse 34, describes him as a teacher of the law, held in respect by all the people. And Paul, or Saul as he was then, was brought up being taught by this very man. One might think that this Saul had everything to live for in his Jewish life. He was going places. And he seems to be showing that. The problem was this, that Saul's Jewishness and his zealousness for his God raised several questions, several questions that we cannot answer, although sometimes, and perhaps you're the same, I long to know the answer to the questions, but God doesn't give us the answer. The answers that immediately spring to mind, or questions that rather spring to mind which we can't answer, are these Where was Saul at the crucifixion? Where was Saul at the resurrection? Where was Saul on the Day of Pentecost? We're not told. But we do know, however, where he was when Stephen was stoned as a martyr. In verse 1 of chapter 8, we read this. Now Saul was consenting to his death. That is the death of Stephen. Or, as another version puts it, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. Here was this man Saul, every inch a Jew, and when this man Stephen was being stoned, He thought it was a great idea. Indeed, it would seem legitimate to assume from the wording of chapter 9 and verse 1 that Saul had been persecuting Christians himself for some time. For we are told there, Meanwhile, Saul Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So we are left we are left in no doubt as to Saul's attitude no, no doubt about Saul's feelings towards what I described here in verse 1 as the Lord's disciples and described in verse 2 as those who belong to the way in a word he hated them He must have been the scourge of the early Christian church, being feared by many, if not all, of its members with good cause. In verse 2 we find him asking the high priest for letters of authority to enable him to take prisoners. Not local prisoners, not local men and women who believed in Jesus but those he found in Damascus where was Damascus it was a hundred miles away he was so much a fanatic that he wanted to go a hundred miles to Damascus and bring back the men and women who believed in Jesus Christ bring them back as captives to Jerusalem to be dealt with as seemed fitted Saul was today what we might well call a fanatical fundamentalist. He was prepared to go great distances to persecute the church and one cannot help but feel that perhaps he was a little too fanatical. Some of you may know that phrase methinks he doth protest too much phrase from Shakespeare I believe. And its meaning is this, that, you know, you're disputing this too much. You don't really believe that it's right, do you? Something deep down that's getting at you. You're saying all these things, and you're saying them as loudly and vehemently as you can, but somewhere deep down, you're not sure you're right. The very loud, too loud protest of innocence somehow shows... Something of a guilt. And Saul's fanaticism seems a little over the top, and you cannot help but wonder whether it was because deep down he knew that there was truth in what these Christians believed. But that his strict Pharisaical upbringing wouldn't allow him to believe it. How much effect, I wonder. Had Stephen's sermon at his death, and also his death itself, had upon the listening and watching Saul? Was it to try and rid himself of a deep inner turmoil that he sought the more to rid the synagogue of these Christian believers? No, it's possible. It's possible that there is someone here who is going through a somewhat similar turmoil. You know there is truth in Christianity. You know perhaps that you ought to become a Christian. Yet you are in turmoil. Turmoil because you don't know what your family or your friends will think of you becoming a Christian. What are you to do? Fill your mind with all sorts of anti-Christian feelings? like Saul or is there something else Saul tried to overcome it by fanatical persecution but what happened to him we see exactly what happened as we look at my second point which is the converted Saul the old Saul is going to become the converted Saul and we see that in verses 3 through to 9 Saul's mind was focused on one thing and one thing alone, and that was the persecution of the Damascus Christians. Indeed, it was so focused that even in the noonday heat, when everybody else would be sitting back and relaxing and doing nothing, he was on his horse, driving his men on towards Damascus. Damascus was now in reach, probably even inside. And inside the city, those who hated the Christians were waiting with great anticipation for the coming of Saul. All these Christians will get it when they, when Saul comes. But the Christians who were there probably waiting with fear and trepidation but then it all changed do you know the story of Esther Esther in the Old Testament Haman was the man thought he got it right annihilate the Jews annihilate the Jews and we're happy but then God intervenes and God enables the Jews to survive. The same thing's going to happen here. It all changed. As Saul had a personal encounter, a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, suddenly there was a light from heaven flashing all around him. He falls to the ground and hears a voice. What was that voice like? Was it an angry voice? I don't think so. Was it an accusing voice? I don't think so. I like to think of that voice from heaven as being a loving voice. A loving voice pleading with an erring son. Saul, Saul, Why do you persecute me? It is one of God's double calls. If you don't know about God's double calls, then check your Bible. Check a concordance and find those double calls. Moses, Moses. Samuel, Samuel. And so on. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Who was this speaking to him? I guess he knew very well. Couldn't bring himself to say the words. And so he asks the question. But even in the question, he seems to know who it is that's talking to him. He says, who are you, Lord? Lord with a capital L. And he got the answer. The answer he must perhaps have been dreading, but the answer he must have been expecting for it was this I am Jesus whom you are persecuting what went through Saul's mind Was he beginning to think they were right those Christians Stephen was right I shouldn't have persecuted them Persecuted them. They shouldn't have stoned Stephen. I should have believed before, instead of trying to cover my doubts with my fanaticism. What was he to do? Well, Jesus told him what to do. And that was to go into Damascus and wait further instructions. And that is what he did. There was no argument. No objection, no discussion, just obedience. What had happened on that Damascus road? To start with, we ought to know that the light Saul saw was seen not only by him, but also by those who were with him. And that the voice he heard was also heard by those with him. Although they couldn't distinguish what the voice was saying. Saul's Damascus Road experience was real. It happened. But I ask again what happened? Three things happened. Firstly, God intervened. In Saul's life, there can be no true conversion unless God intervenes in our life. Saul was not looking for this experience, but God intervened, and without God's intervention, he would n- he would have entered Damascus as a persecutor. He would have gone his own way. But God stopped him in his tracks. God was at work in him. Leads to the question, doesn't it? Has God been at work in you? But you might ask, what happens when God is at work? What happens is the second thing we find here, and that is you have a personal encounter. With Jesus Christ. You have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus was speaking to Saul, and Saul was speaking to Jesus. Those with Saul didn't understand, didn't understand what was happening. And you may find the same thing. Your personal encounter with Jesus may not be understood by you. Or by those around you. But just as you cannot have conversion without God's intervention, so you cannot have conversion without a personal experience of Jesus Christ, a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And there can be no conversion without the third thing here, and that is a personal surrender. We must recognise Jesus for who and what he is. He is not only our Saviour, he is our Lord. And we need to surrender to him. Saul was converted. He had seen the light. But let me say this, just in case you are under any misapprehension. Most of you will know this already. Just in case, there are very few people who ever have a, Damas- a Damascus Road experience in their conversion. Very few people have this light shining at them. In a sense, many do. But in, the, in, a, in most conversions, They occur without the bright lights, without the voice from heaven. They occur in much simpler ways. But they are conversions, just as much as Saul's was. The person who is reading the Bible and suddenly thinks, that applies to me. Jesus died for me. That's just as much an experience, conversion experience, as the one of Saul on the Damascus road. Has there been a true conversion in your life? When Saul got up and opened his eyes, he discovered that he was blind and had to be led to Damascus. We're told that he was blind for three days and that during this time he neither ate nor drank anything. What's going on here? What a strange experience it was. Did Saul think God had blinded him because he had persecuted the Christians? He'd persecuted the church? Did he think that he would remain blind forever? We don't know. So let's move on to something we do know. Let's move on to my third point, which is this. The baptised Saul, in verses 10 through to 19. In verse 10, the focus of attention turns for a moment from Saul to a disciple by the name of Ananias. And boy, was Ananias scared. We're told that the Lord spoke to him in a vision. And in that vision, he told him to go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and to ask for Saul of Tarsus. Uh, The Lord then went on to tell him that Saul had been given a vision in which he saw Ananias restoring his sight. What a privilege this was for Ananias be the one to go and speak to this man Saul, and to be the bearer of good tidings. But he didn't think so. He didn't see it as a special task for God. Verse 13, we are told from, that Ananias said, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man. And all the harm is done to your saints in Jerusalem and he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. Now, Lord, you can't be sending me to him. It's too dangerous. I'm saying it in the nicest possible way, I guess. Sorry, Lord, but I can't do it. It's too dangerous. Perhaps you're feeling something of this this morning. There is something that God is asking you to do. Perhaps even going to speak to a neighbour or somebody that you're a little afraid might rebuff you as you speak to them about the gospel. It's God asking you to do something. And are you saying, sorry, Lord, I can't do it. It's too dangerous. And not perhaps dangerous in the way that uh, Ananias was in danger, but in terms perhaps of hurting your pride, your pocket, or your time. There is something the Lord wants you to do. And for some reason, you're saying no. Is that the case with you? Then take note of God's reply to Ananias in verse 15. Go. This man is my chosen instrument. Go, says God. There is no danger. And that's what he says to you who are saying, No, not no, but go. Do it. There is no danger. God has said go and verse 17 finds Ananias now being obedient. Ananias went. But I guess still with a little fear and trepidation. (coughs) And if there were no fear or trepidation there was surely an awareness of what Saul had done to the church already and what he would do to the church in Damascus if God had not stopped him yet when Ananias went into the presence of Saul what happened? he placed his hands on him and called him brother Saul this is Christianity Christianity at its best there was an awareness of what he was and not what he had been there was love not hatred if only we were able to exercise such love and such forgiveness Saul was unable to see and we are told that he got up and was baptised he'd been converted And he wanted to seal that conversion with baptism just as the Lord Jesus Christ commanded. Have you been converted? And have you sealed it with baptism? So my final point, and it's a fairly quick point, it's this. The new Saul. The new Saul, in verses 20. 31. The first thing the new soul did join the church. And this is how it should be conversion, baptism, church membership. And then we read that he spent several days with the disciples. Uh, And and from Galatians 1, that he then spent some time in Arabia and then returned to Damascus. And then it wasn't until three years after his conversion. But he finally went to Jerusalem. And during his time in Damascus, he preached in the synagogues and grew more and more powerful. Not as a persecutor, but as a preacher. A preacher of the good news of Jesus Christ. And then there was a conspiracy by the Jews to kill him. And he was let down in a basket through an opening in the wall in order to escape. He fled to Jerusalem <laughs> and tried to join the, join the disciples there. But they were of the same opinion as Ananias. This is still the man who was persecuting the church. They still hadn't cottoned on yet. They were still afraid of him. And so Barnabas has to come along. That man whose name means the encourager. And in Acts chapter 4 and verse 36, he comes into the picture. He takes Saul's side and he puts his case to the apostles whereupon he was accepted. Not only by them, but also by the church there. And again, what do we discover? We discover that because of his preaching, there were those who wanted to kill him. When the disciples learned of this, they had to send him away. They took him to Caesarea and sent him home to Tarsus. But the important thing for for Saul now was not his life, but the preaching of the gospel. And that is the way it should be, isn't it? That is what should matter for us once we become Christians. It's not remaining silent preaching the gospel is that what matters to us so here is the progression the old Saul the old Saul was a man antagonistic to say the least to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to those who believed it it was clearly we might have said not a man likely to be converted. And yet in my second point we saw him as the converted soul. If you've ever, ever read a book by a, an old London City missionary, you'll discover in there that he was a London City missionary at my old church, or old church, the angel. And in that book he refers to two brothers, David and Brian, and says, I never thought that Brian would be the one who would be converted. But at the time of his writing, this Brian was now a preacher. And that Brian stands before you this morning. It is sometimes the most unlikely people, humanly speaking, who are converted. And that is the case here, as Saul came face to face with Jesus and was converted. Next, we saw the baptised Saul. Saul wanted to show his conversion by following Jesus' command to be baptised. Why is it? Why is it that so many Christians today are so reluctant to follow his example? And then finally, we saw the new Saul. The old Saul was enthusiastic in trying to decrease the number of Christians, whereas the new Saul was even more enthusiastic in trying to increase the number of Christians. What the new Saul found however was that others would make it as difficult for him to increase the numbers as the old Saul had made it for those others. But before I end let me ask this question. We might well ask, did Saul, Paul, regret his decision to give up what he had to give up what he had as a great man amongst the Jews did he regret giving it all up to become a Christian in hindsight with all the troubles he went through and we know all the troubles he went through because he recounts them for us there were many was it all worthwhile The answer, I believe, is found in one of his letters, in that to the church at Philippi. And in chapter 3 and verses 7 to 11, he writes this. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my lord for whose sake i have lost all things i consider them dung or garbage that i may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through the faith through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from god on the basis of faith I want to know Christ yes to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead the old soul converted soul, the baptized soul, the new soul. Where are you in this progression?